I'm reading today from 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 to 21. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him Whoever loves God must also love his brother. I used to have a book called um, Stories I Couldn't Tell When I Was a Pastor. Written, written by a pastor, and the stories are about his time as a, a pastor. He was from Dallas. Now, writing a book isn't my speed, but if it was, this following story would probably be in there. Uh, it happened when I was preparing to preach a series on 1 John, and we happened to be on a series on 1 John here. So you're aware of the 2080 principle and how it applies to churches, right? 20% of the people do 80% of the work. 20% of the people give 80% of the money. 20% of the sermon makes 80% of the impact. Churches are just kind of wishing pastors would figure out what 20% that is and, and stick with Can you imagine a six-minute sermon that had the, basically the full impact? You could even have time for instant replays of the best points and be under 10 minutes. You could even have time for instant replays of the best points and be under 10 minutes. I got stuck there in the instant replay bit for a bit. Okay, also, 20% of the people make 80% of the, of the complaints. 
And we had a lady in our church uh, who specialized in this department. Over years of dedicated service, she was an expert. And the day before, or the Sunday before the series on 1 John was to start, she came to me and said, Russ, that was a, one of the best sermons I've ever heard. I am glad you're our pastor. Nice words, eh? Left me very troubled. Because my world suddenly was totally out of balance. But not for long. The next Sunday we start on the series. And one of the main messages of 1 John is, well, it's in verse 20 what we're looking at today is if you say that you love God who you have never seen, but you can't love your neighbor who you have seen, your brothers and sisters who you, you've seen, you're, you're lying. You don't love God like you think you do. Now, remember, her specialty wasn't loving people. It was keeping them humble by telling them what they were doing wrong. So after the service, she came to me and she says, Russ, that's got to be one of the worst sermons I ever heard. How long is this series going to last? I'm going to go to the Pentecostal church until it's over. I hear they have a decent pastor. Quite a fall, eh? One week from one of the best sermons ever to one of the worst sermons ever from I'm glad you're our pastor to somewhere below decent pastor. And my heart was strangely warmed. <laughs> Balance was returning to my universe. And so you can imagine my surprise when there she was next Sunday in this, in this congregation glaring at me during the service. And afterwards I said, yeah, I didn't expect to see you here today. And she says, yeah, nah, my daughter made me come. But I'm not happy about it. And I want you to know that when she said, I'm not happy about it, I didn't say, well, that makes two of us. Now, there is about 10, 12 sermons in the series, and she was there just about every Sunday. I was her pastor for another 10 years after this, and I don't think I ever attained the, the status of decent pastor again. I also learned it's kind of foolish to worry about balance because this lady not, was single-handedly, not only was able to restore balance, but get everything leaning pretty far the other direction, all within the, the length of that series. So, if you're here today and you're happy about it, welcome. I'm glad you're here. If you're here today and you're not happy about it, welcome. I'm glad that you're here. And I've been praying for you. Well, actually, I've been praying for all of us. And uh, Tammy must have been reading my mind because what I've been praying is kind of what she was praying. I've been praying that God's love would be more real to us today than it's ever been before. That God would give us the power to understand his love in a deeper way than we've ever understood before. Twice in our passage it says that God is love. And we know that our God is infinite. And so that means that no matter how much you know and understand about his love, there's always more. In eternity, we're going to spend eternity figuring out and understanding God, and there's always going to be more. His love is always deeper. And so my prayer for us all is 
that we understand God's love in a deeper way than we've ever understood it before. Now, can I let you in on a secret? Like, what's the deal with being a pastor? And actually, as I was thinking about this, it's, it's the same deal, actually, as if we're a member or a, a regular attender. If College Drive is your church, here's the deal. You're going to find that there are people here that you don't like. And, and it might be, that might be mutual. Did you know that there are some people who are really hard to like? And some of us are saying, well, we're in church. Are we allowed to admit that? Yeah, I think God's okay with us admitting the truth. And the truth is, some people are hard to like. Now, we're going to focus on verse 20. I think it's up there. I should look at my notes, eh? It says, where are we? I don't know. <laughs> ah, you got to love me. Ah. You don't have to like me, but you have to love me. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. You notice that verse doesn't say anything about liking people. You don't have to like them, but you have to love them. And not just pretend to love them like, you know, all nice and sugary sweet on the outside and inside you're... Right? No, you got to really love them. And I would define love as desiring and working for God's best for the other person. Often we think of love as a feeling. But in reality, love is a choice and an action. That's what God's love towards us is like. A choice and then an action. God is the source of our love. He loved us enough to sacrifice his son. Jesus gives us an example of what that love looks like. Everything he did in life and in death was extremely loving. We're not born with the ability to love like that. We can't learn it. Rather, it's a gift from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us the power to love like that. He lives in us and he changes us, and we become like Jesus. Look again at verses 9 to 11. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation. Big word, right? It means the sacrifice that pays for our sins sent his son to be the sacrifice that pays for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Do you see it? On God's part, a choice and an action. The action, of course, is that he sent his son to be the, the propitiation, the sacrifice for our sins. So you don't have to like everybody here. You just have to love them, really love them, which requires a choice and an action on our part. Have you ever noticed that when you don't like somebody and you hear something bad has happened to them, inside you kind of go, yes. You don't actually say it out loud, though, right? We're, we're not that crass. 
But inside, yes. And when something bad happens or something good happens, we say, oh, rats. Yeah, love doesn't do that. Love doesn't act that way. Love desires and works towards God's best for us, for the other person. So let's dig deeper into uh, verse 20. It says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For, whom he, uh, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. In this series, we've seen three lies that John is uncovering. They're, they're lies that false teachers were either showing by their example or were saying to the people. And John is correcting these lies. We've also talked about them in this series as tests. Tests to see if we are in the light. Uh, also in our passage, there's three phrases that are used so intertwined that we, you can't separate them from one another. The phrases are to love God. The third, uh, second one is to know God. The third one is to be born of God. And you can't, you can't separate them. They're so intertwined with each other. And so the lies are, if we claim one of these three, to know God, to love God, or to be born of God, lie one, while we are disobeying God's commands, while we're continually disobeying, we are lying. We don't love God like we think we do. Second lie, if we claim to love God or know God or to be born of God while denying the deity of Jesus Christ, we're lying. And you see false cults, this is the most common place that they attack Christianity. Deny that Jesus is the Son of God or that he's divine. They may say the words Son of God, but they've changed the definition. It means something different. So that's the second lie. The third lie is, if we say we love God or know God while not loving other Christians, we're lying. And what John is saying through all three of these lies is if we are living with one of these lies, we're in trouble at the very heart of our relationship with God. If you say you love God and yet you continually disobey what, what he's uh, telling us to do, it's pretty obvious to see your relationship with him would be kind of messed up, right? Same way, if you say you love God or you know God, but you deny that Jesus is God's son, you can see how your relationship with God would be messed up. Well, it's the same with this one. If you say you know or love God and you can't bring yourself to love your brothers and sisters, the other people in the church, you're in trouble at the very heart of your relationship with God. And the problem isn't going to be solved by trying harder to love your brother and sister. Your lack of love for them is just the symptom. The real problem is your relationship with God. Your relationship with God is in trouble. Recently, a friend of ours had, uh, I think they call it cellulitis, very painful, great big swollen leg in the hospital for a couple of weeks. Uh, because the pain was so intense, they gave her morphine. Her temperature was high, so they gave her something for that. After she got out of the hospital, our daughter went there every day for weeks to wrap up her leg to reduce the swelling. But if that's all that they did, she would have been in big trouble. Because none of that, that's just dealing with the symptoms. is not dealing with the infection. 
Well, the same with this. If we simply try harder to love our brothers and sisters, we're only treating the symptoms. If we fail to love our brothers and sisters, we're in trouble at the very heart of our relationship with God. Now, you might say, well, Russ, <laughs> aren't you being a bit dramatic? Surely failing to love the people we don't like can't be that serious, can it? Like, come on, give me a break. But look at what John says, verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Now, we take John's words at face value. He is saying if we don't love our brothers and sisters, we don't know God. And we're not born of God. In verse 8, that word know in Greek is in the aorist tense, which means John is saying not only do we not know God today, but we've never known him. And so John is questioning if we don't love other Christians, are we even in relationship with God? Now, we need to balance what John says with other scripture. And, you know, we wouldn't say that you lose your salvation if you fail to love people in the church that you don't like. But the best we could say for you is that your relationship with God sucks. You're in trouble at the very heart of your relationship with God. Now, why would that be? Well, there's a clear teaching, a, a spiritual principle in the Bible that is this. We become like the thing that we love or we worship. In the Old Testament, we read over and over and over again that those who worship idols become like those idols. The idols are blind, deaf, and dumb. And those who worship the idols become blind, deaf, and dumb spiritually. So if we love God, we can't help it. We will begin to become like God, and we will love. Look at verse 16. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. If we love God, we will become like God. God is love, and love will start to flow through us. We will love because God is love, and we're becoming like him. Verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. We love because we become like God. If we don't love, we have to question, do I even have a relationship with God? At best, my relationship with God is in trouble. As we love God, we start to become like God, and we start to love people, even the people that we find it hard to like. Now, of course, we have to cooperate with what the Holy Spirit is doing within us. The Holy Spirit is working to change us. And I can't say, I can't fight it and say, you know, I, I don't like that guy, so I, I'm not going to love him. We have to cooperate with what the Spirit is doing in our lives, turning our hearts towards God and towards other people. That's why in this passage, John tells us three times, love your brothers and sisters. Verse 7, beloved, let us love one another. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. And verse 21, 
And this command we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Some years ago, Sharon and I went on this little trip, and one of the hotels we stayed at, it was kind of ratty, to be truthful. Uh, It was dark, had a dark carpet, and uh, I was fixing this little gadget, and all of a sudden a piece went flying out. I heard it hit the wall, and so I knew it was over there somewhere. And I looked and I looked. I had a little flashlight on my keychain. And the thing just disappeared. Finally, I went and got a lamp. Took the shade off. The bright light, the thing was obvious. It was right there. You couldn't miss it. The light showed what had been hidden. What had been hidden was all of a sudden very plain. For anybody who would, who would care to look, you could, it was obvious. Remember I said, if we fail to love our brothers and sisters, we're in trouble at the very heart of our relationship with God. Now, during my lifetime, there has never been a bright light shined upon the spiritual state of the church in North America as there has been in the last three years with COVID. And many churches didn't fare that well. No matter what position we took in the various debates or disagreements, our love for our brothers and sisters who disagreed with us was tested, wasn't it? I saw people who got the vaccine and they'd hear that people who didn't get the vaccine got COVID and they'd go, yes! Except they wouldn't do it in the quiet inside voice. It was spoken out loud. And vice versa, people who didn't get the vaccine and they'd hear people who got the vaccine and got COVID anyhow, yes, it serves them right. Now, maybe me talking about this is getting your shirts on a knot. There might be stuff stirring inside us. Verse 21. And this command we have from him. Whoever loves God must love his brother. We become like the one we love. If we love God, we will be able to love those who we have a hard time liking. Those who we disagree with. Those who we are afraid of. Those who've said bad things about us. Listen to what John says. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God loved us when we were at our worst when we were in the unlovable state, when we were the ones that were hard to love, God loved us. And so, brothers and sisters, let's love one another. Take a deep breath. Are we okay? Can we keep going? There's a couple of verses we haven't talked about yet that talk about having confidence on the day of judgment. 
talk about perfect love casting out all fear. Before we get into that, we're going to take a little poll, and you're going to be able to vote. The que- here's, here's what you're voting on. When you go to God and confess your sins, are you relying primarily upon God's mercy, or are you relying upon his justice? When you go to confess your sins, are you appealing to God's mercy, or are you appealing to his justice? Can we vote on this? How many think, when you go to confess your sins, that you're relying upon God's mercy? Lots of us. How many say, I'm relying upon God's justice? There's a few. Okay, we know this verse, right? 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and what? To forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Faithful and merciful? Is that what it says? Faithful and... Oh, we should have voted for justice. Oh, (laughs) most of us voted for mercy. Now, let me explain why we're relying upon his justice, and I'll use an illustration of a fictional character that we'll call Kimball. (laughs) No connection to any Kimball you know. But the Kimball that I'm talking about loves coffee. And not just ordinary coffee, but specialty coffee. And his special place of the day is Starbucks. And the highlight of the day is to go to Starbucks and order a coffee and to drink it. It's just, it's wonderful. But this Kimball also is very forgetful and most days forgets his wallet and only figures that out after he's ordered his coffee. And so he's ordered the coffee and realizes he can't pay for it. The barista shows up with the coffee and he can't pay. And it's, it's incredibly sad. And he gives her this great big sad look. And some days she gives him a free coffee. Because it's just so sad. And she's merciful. Now that's an illustration of relying upon her mercy is not justice because nobody's paid for that coffee. It's mercy. But you know what the long-term effect of that is? Two things, at least. First one is she sees him coming and she says, oh, no, here comes that guy always forgets his wallet. And it becomes really kind of awkward. Second thing, our friend realizes that it's kind of awkward And stops going in to order coffee. Even on the days where he's remembered his wallet. Because it's just too embarrassing. You can relate, right? You know that there are lots of Christians who have given up on confessing their sins. We need to confess our sins on a regular basis. When Martin Luther nailed the 95 thesis to the door... The first one is that confession is a, or repentance, he uses the word repentance. Repentance is a daily activity. You know why we, I think why lots of Christians don't confess their sins? Because it's, it's so embarrassing. I, you know, I confessed the same thing yesterday and I'm going to, oh. And if we rely upon God's mercy, 
I think we often give up. That's part of the reason why we give up confessing our sins. Now, what would it look like to rely upon God's justice? Back to the illustration. Say I'm Kimball's friend. And I know he orders coffee, and I know that he forgets his wallet, so I go to, to, to Starbucks, and I say, you know, my friend Kimball's going to come in tomorrow, he's going to order coffee, and he's going to come in every day after that, and I want you to just give him the coffee, because here's $10,000. It's prepaid. Not you, it's a different Kimball. <laughs> you got to change identities right now. So tomorrow, when he goes in and orders his coffee, it would be unjust for Tim, or for Tim Horton, for Starbucks not to give it to him, right? Because it's already being paid for. Justice requires that they give him the coffee. It's unjust for them to not give. Now, these two scenarios, going and begging for mercy or going with confidence, knowing that our sin has been paid for, which is a better picture of us when we go to God and confess our sins? It's the second one, because Jesus was sent as the propitiation, as the sacrifice that pays for our sins. We're appealing to God's justice because Jesus has been the sacrifice that pays for our sins. Justice requires that our sin be forgiven because it was paid for. Paid once and for all. There's no need to pay for it a second time. Justice requires that since it's been paid for in full by Christ at the cross, we don't need to pay for it again. And so when you hear that God is going to judge the world with justice, Rejoice, because your sin has been paid for in full. And when God judges injustice, he's not going to require you to pay for it again. Isn't that good news? Now, this passage talks about judgment day. Is judgment for you in the future or in the past? Ah, for Christians, judgment is in the past. Our sin has been judged already on the cross. And because it is paid for, because the instant replay part isn't working this morning, pay real close attention to this bit. Because our sins are paid for, justice requires that they not be brought up against us a second time. Isn't that glorious? Now, some might hear this and say, great, I can sin as much as I want. I'm on a prepaid sin plan. It's like a, a sin smorgasbord. Now, if you're thinking that, we're back to the first lie that John is referring to, right? So if you say you know God, remember this slide? It says, if you know God, you love God, you're born of God, but you continue to practice sin, you're lying and you're not practicing the truth. And so John is saying, if you have that attitude of 
great. I can just sin as much as I want. He said, no, no, no. You don't have a relationship with God. Or if you do, it's really sick. If we claim to love God or know God while we're disobeying God, we're lying. And we're in trouble at the very heart of our relationship with God. Now let's wrap this whole thing up. But digging a little bit deeper, there's a phrase at the end of verse 17 that I want you to, I want you to look at. Verse 16 to 19, we'll read that. And then we'll come back to this little phrase in verse 17. So we have come to know God and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. Or and abides in love, abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment. Because, and this is the phrase, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Can we go back just one slide? There, that last phrase. Because he, as he, that's Jesus, is so also are we in this world. What? What does that mean? We're like Jesus right now, not, not in heaven, but right now here on this earth. What does that mean? Because we know that at times we still mess up, right? We still are immature. We still do dumb things. We still sin. How can John say that right now, here on earth, we're like Jesus? Well, the only way to make sense of this verse is to realize that John is talking about our standing or our position before God as, to oppose, as opposed to our actual condition. In his love, God has so closely identified us with Christ that our position in this world is like his exalted position in heaven. Because of his love, when Jesus died on the cross, God transferred Jesus' righteousness to us. That's called justification. Because of this, on the day of judgment you will be able to stand with confidence before God because when God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. This means that on the day of judgment, God will deal with us as he deals with his own beloved son. You don't need to be afraid of the future because our sins have been judged in Christ when he died on the cross. You don't need to be afraid of the past because in verse 19, it says that God loved us first. He loved us in the past before we even wanted anything to do with him. And you don't need to be afraid of the present because perfect love drives out all fear. There is no reason that there needs to be that awkwardness between us and God because our sins have been paid for. As we grow in love, we will cease to be fearful. We can base our confidence in the day of judgment on the fact that God's love and his justice will unite to make you like him. So my friends, God loves you. His love 
and his sense of justice guarantees that you are forgiven. Isn't that good? I, 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 this is a side note. I have some black friends who, when they preach, the, the audience gets really into it, right? Yeah, and sometimes they have to say, don't shout me down. That's when too many people are into it. When, when nobody's into it, they say, can I have a testimony? It means you're supposed to yell hallelujah or, or praise the Lord or amen or something. So let's give this a try again. <laughs> okay, God's love and his sense of justice guarantees that you are forgiven. Yeah, I don't have to worry about telling you to don't shout me down. You know, I've preached over a thousand sermons and never once have I had to say to people, don't shout me down. But it's mainly been Mennonite Brethren churches. Okay, in response to that love and justice, you begin to become more and more like God. And before you know it, you end up loving the people you don't even like. And then the rest of us here, we even end up loving you. And so we're glad you're here today, if you're happy about it or not. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would give us power to understand your love for us. And then work in us to change us so that we would love our brothers and sisters. And I thank you that your justice and love comes together, guaranteeing that we are forgiven. And so we don't need to be afraid of Judgment Day because our sin has already been judged in Christ. Help us to understand this in deep and profound ways and change us to become more and more like you. I pray this in the name of Christ.